0: Who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America. Happy Monday. Good show on top for us today. If you've been reading Just the News, you probably recently saw a story where John Hopkins Medical School had its diversity officer put out a newsletter that really shocked a lot of people, including alumni, including Congressman Andy Harris, who used to teach on the faculty of John Hopkins. He's a member of Congress from Maryland. He remains an anesthesiologist, so he's a full doctor. Well, the newsletter, which was for this month's January newsletter, warned people that Christians and whites and others were privileged and potentially a threat. And it sort of had that feeling like it was setting up the argument for DEI to ration care to privileged people and give it to the underprivileged. It raised red alarms. Congressman Andy Harris blew a whistle on it right away, and it had a profound effect. It really worked well. The school very quickly repudiated the letter and said it didn't reflect the school's values. They backed off in a big way. But as you know from this show, because we talk about it often, this DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion movement. This philosophy that's on the left has really profound, far-reaching infiltrations in institutions, banks, and in corporate America. In the medical schools now, in the regular schools, it's very concerning because it forces people to look at your skin color instead of the merits of your character. And Andy Harris is going to join us today to describe a little bit why he raised such concerns about this, his reaction to the reaction, which I think was important as well. And we'll have a really good conversation with him in a little bit. I want to get to a scoop that my good colleague Stephen Richards had over the weekend. It builds off the comments that Congressman Eric Burleson made earlier this week or last week on the Justin News No Noise television show. And then on this podcast, he flagged an insurance policy that had been flagged by suspicious activity reports. I want to get to the latest on that in a second. But before that, in the second block of the show today, we're going to take a look at South Africa. Yes, that's where Nelson Mandela made his name, where there was great efforts to reverse apartheid. And for a long time, there was a functioning political system in which blacks had a say at the table after years of being repressed by a white leadership in that country. But today, the ANC, the party that represented or was born of Nelson Mandela's lineage and of his great work, it is in financial trouble and the country is struggling. And it has been playing footsie both with Iran, which it hired or did some arrangements to help South Africa fix its broken refineries and with Hamas leaders themselves. And since that footsie began, South Africa has embarked on something else, a troubling discussion and a troubling claim in the international court system that somehow Israel has evolved in genocide with its attacks on Hamas in the Gaza zone. And in the second part of this show, I want to bring in Victoria Coates, one of the great national security thinkers in our country, to give us a lowdown of what's going on in South Africa, why we should be concerned about it, why is Iran able to help South Africa when it has so many sanctions? Those are all really good questions, right? Well, as always, Victoria Coates always has very good answers, so we're going to get you those in the second block of the show today. Really good show. Now, recently... With the House Oversight Committee now in a position to interview Hunter Biden in a closed deposition end of next month, there are some new details emerging. This one from Congressman Burleson's own interview with just the news. We made some real news with it. There is a series of whole life insurance policy payments that were flagged on Hunter Biden's suspicious activity reports, according to Burleson. And Burleson wants to know whether these payments have something to do with the insurance policy policy whether is that the back door by which Hunter Biden was able to help his father benefit from his financial payments. That's that's the question, right? And there is some real reason to have further follow-up on it. There is some real concerns that maybe these life insurance policies, which are referenced in Hunter Biden's emails, and Joe Biden also has one on his financial disclosure form, whether they could be a backdoor way where the two son and father were benefiting. And Steve and Richards has put together everything we know. Again, we're not making an accusation. We're saying, because we have confirmed it, that Congress is preparing to ask and delve into this to see if this was a backdoor way for Hunter to benefit. But go check it out. All the documents that back up what we found, are in Stephen Richards' story. The headline is, Treasury Reports Flagged Hunter Biden's Insurance, Opening New Line of Inquiry in Impeachment. All right, that is the story that everyone should check out. It's trending number one on the site right now for good reason. It could be a backdoor, right? All right, so we're going to take a quick commercial break in a second. Now, before we do that, I want to shout out my good friends at Brick House Nutrition. As you know, I've been u- using Field of Greens as a, a health supplement, I get five healthy doses of vegetable and fruits and a single scoop of the powder that is Field of Greens. And I love it, but they've got a new product. It's called Lean. It's a doctor formulated weight loss supplement. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism and keep your appetite under control. If your life is a bit stressful and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Those are both important as well. And because you're a fan of Justin News, we're going to give you 15% off and free shipping. All right. So I got to do is go to the URL, takelean.com take L-E-A-N, L-E-A-N dot com, And use the promo code JustNews15 at checkout And you're going to get 15% off It's pretty easy One more time JustNews15, promo code Use it at TakeLean.com And you'll be in business Go check out this great product As you know, Brickhouse Nutrition Really proud of their work All right, in a few moments Congressman Andy Harris Will be joining us He's got a lot to talk about That DEI newsletter At John Hopkins Right after this message who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us justnews. That's amac.us justnews and extend the invitation to a friend or a family member for free. What a great opportunity. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is 34 plus trillion dollars in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. You probably saw this story a couple of weeks ago on Just the News, an extraordinary newsletter from John Hopkins Medical School. John Hopkins Medicine is called The Diversity Chief there. Oh, my gosh. Writing about things that I would never have thought in a million years would have been put into writing at a system of higher education, claiming that people who are religious, people who are white, have a problem with privilege, and it should affect even how doctors and those going through medical school might view them. Right away, a very important member of Congress jumped right on this. Congressman Andy Harris from Maryland, who, by the way, is a former faculty member at Johns Hopkins, now uh, obviously a member of Congress on the appropriations, one of the subcommittees. He jumped right out, called attention to this for some change. At least in theory, John Hopkins says that it no longer stands by the newsletter, that it was imprudent to set it out. We're very lucky right now to be joined by Congressman Harris himself. Congressman, good to have you on the show. Good to be with you, John. This DEI thing keeps showing up everywhere. Medical school is perhaps one of the most concerning, because I think long-term people worry, will this start to affect the judgment of medical personnel when they look at a person? When you first saw this at John Hopkins, were you disbelieved that the school you used to teach at
1: had this sort of mindset? Well, yes. Uh, it wasn't like that when I was on the faculty. And uh, you know, again, between critical race theory and DEI, uh, this is a logical conclusion that you'd have these out-of-control academic institutions, basically uh, calling for bias against uh, certain groups. And uh, the groups that were listed in this Johns Hopkins newsletter was a pretty broad group, uh, as you mentioned, including Christians, uh, which is, you know, religious bigotry is something I thought, uh, you know, we put way behind us in this country, but apparently it's rearing its head again. Yeah, just remarkable. It really is. And
0: I know the university said, hey, we're withdrawing it, did not reflect our values. A bad call. But the person who wrote it's still there. Is this window dressing
1: or do you think the university got the message? Oh, this is absolutely window dressing. Look, there's some things you just can't unsee. And this is one of those things. If you read the, if you read this newsletter, uh, you know again, uh, it, the chief diversity officer. This is the way she really feels. There's no question about it. And uh, given the fact that this occurred right after the dismissal of of uh, Dr. Gay up at uh, Harvard, uh, I'm not surprised they tried to walk it back. Uh, but there's some things you just can't walk back, and this is one of them. Yeah.
0: No. There's really. Really remarkable. There is a growing concern among medical professionals. I've had a few doctors on the show recently. There was an amazing op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. I think the headline was, trained physicians, not activists at med school, but this concern that the politicization of medical school is going to have a negative effect on the way doctors coming out of the school will view their patients. They'll be looking at skin color or socioeconomic statuses instead of the patient and their disease. Is this at a critical juncture now where this needs to be addressed by Congress?
1: Uh, It needs to be addressed somewhere, and Congress is one place we can do it, because, John, it goes even further than that. What you're seeing in medicine growing now is uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, making decisions, and uh, you can imagine someone coming into an emergency room, you have to check off certain boxes. Uh, that, that might uh, indicate that you might have quote privilege, and then some machine might triage you. And who knows how that machine is programmed? If this chief diversity officer at Hopkins is programming the machine, I'll bet you I can predict how this uh, how you will be triaged. Uh, and, and uh, privilege will be taken into account in triage. Uh, again, this is a very dangerous trend. Uh, we are supposed to be absolutely uh, you know, colorblind to the greatest extent and to the broadest definition of the meaning when we take care of patients and whenever a, uh, again, a health professional starts talking about this, about uh, classes that uh, one should be perhaps wary of, uh, this is very, very worrisome. Yeah, no, it really is. And I've had more conversations about this in
0: the last six months with newsmakers. And at any other time in my career, it seems like the red lights are blinking for the first time. You're a doctor, which is remarkable. So you have a really important perspective on this. But you also sit on the Appropriations Committee. How important is it that the power of the purse might be utilized here to start to get these universities Hey, you keep this up, you're going to put things like your federal funding in jeopardy. Is that a logical thing for Congress to look at in the
1: future? I think it certainly is, and the way it starts is uh, through what are called indirect funding costs from the National Institutes of Health. Uh, you know, universities like Johns Hopkins get hundreds of millions of dollars from uh, the federal government, and a lot of that money is what's called an indirect cost, which is the cost of basically running the institution, which includes administrative costs. So in, in, a, in a way, this chief diversity officer's salary was partly paid by appropriated federal funds. And uh, I think it's about time to send a message that if you have enough money to hire chief diversity officers who are honestly religious bigots, then you probably don't need as much money from the federal government. We should start uh, dialing it back. Yeah,
0: that's a great point. There's plenty of money in the universities already, so maybe you're going to put it at risk keeping it going. There is another area that I think is becoming more and more concerning and that is the creation of new rules in the securities and exchange commission to do similar things here that up to apply questions of critical race theory diversity and inclusion and also some of the ESG things, and you are seeing rules being created for things like natural asset companies and other things that no one in Congress ever envisioned giving bureaucrats the ability to do. Is this an area for regulatory review? Is there any discussion among your colleagues to maybe start taking a look at places where the Biden administration and their bureaucratic friends are assuming powers that Congress never gave them, whether it's education, environment, all the places that these philosophies are influencing right now?
1: Uh, it certainly is, and uh, obviously the you know federal government. Uh, these I should say the Supreme Court's uh, Chevron deference uh, decision is going to make a big difference here, uh, because some of these agencies uh, are, are you know running away with some of this. Uh, obviously the uh, you know the na- the uh, natural assets uh, uh, corporations. I mean these these are just bad ideas. I don't know who cooked them up. Uh, the CBDCs uh the uh, digital currencies uh these again are going forward without congressional approval uh the bottom line is that uh on, on many levels uh the the uh, bureaucratic state is running way ahead of uh where they should be and uh delivering on a political agenda not on necessarily what's good for the nation Yeah, no, that's so true. You did a
0: fun event over the weekend uh, with Congressman Chris Smith, who I know well, just examining the impact of some of the offshore wind industrialization on marine life. We love our whales, we love our fish, but the Green Movement, so intent on getting clean energy, maybe putting some of the marine biology at work. This was a really important event. Tell us a little bit about it and what some of the feedback was from witnesses and those in attendance
1: yeah so what we did is we held a a public event uh in Ocean City Maryland looking at the offshore wind project and uh, this is a perfect example of how something is being rushed through the uh, bureaucratic process uh to create to uh, to advance a political agenda. The political agenda is uh you know quote renewable resources without taking into consideration the huge economic disadvantage uh offshore wind a very expensive method of producing electricity will place the united states relative to countries like china the uh the fact that we have not fully uh considered what the effect on marine mammals is when when these uh w- with the industrialization of the ocean floor uh again an unprecedented number of marine mammal especially whale deaths on the uh, mid atlantic uh coinciding with the with the acoustic testing uh, that has to take place when you put in one of these large projects. Uh, there are, uh, it, it is a Coast Guard search and rescue radar interference question. There are Department of Defense questions. There is a NASA question with interference with the Wallops Space Center. There are many, many aspects of this that are just being brushed under the rug by the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management in, uh, in what is a, a, a blatant uh, attempt to bypass the normal uh, approval process in order, again, to advance a political agenda.
0: The hearing you did was so important. I think there were a lot of things I had not heard of until they were laid out there. And I think it's so great that Congress is doing the sort of oversight that I think for a long time got ignored. This green energy thing has been going on for a decade. And some of these unintended or ill-found consequences, ill-thought consequences are really starting to become apparent, really important stuff. One other thing I want to ask about the budget, the border, this is a very important time in the history of the country. And I think people are wondering, all right, we've kicked the can down the road three times on a CR. What sort of deal can Congress get on the border to start to secure what I know concerns you very much?
1: Well, you know, uh, I was one of the people who tried to get a border, a real border security package attached to the funding bill. I don't think it's going to happen that way. I think the our best chance is with the what's called the supplemental funding bill, which would fund uh, fund uh, uh, help for Taiwan, Israel. Uh, Ukraine. Uh, I think that that's that's the most likely place, but I but I don't hold out hope for it because I think the uh, the Senate uh, the Senate compromise package is uh, allows way too many people, 5,000 people a day to cross the border uh, illegally and, uh, and claim asylum. Uh, that's way too many. So I, I don't think that I think that's a non-starter in the House. And I think uh, that the Democrats are just not going to give in, the president's not going to give in to real border control. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a stalemate over that. And that's too bad. But uh, again, we look, we have a presidential election coming up. I think it's going to be a hugely important issue in the presidential election.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. No doubt at all. Last question, because I know with the March for Life, you were out front and center. You've always been a pro-life member of Congress. This year's event had a little bit different feel. There was a lot of energy and excitement and belief that, you know, with a presidential election over the horizon. More things can be done to encourage the culture of life. Your takeaways from this past weekend's events?
1: I think the most important takeaway is that we're shifting gears into support, again, for women and their babies. The most important one is support of pregnancy resource centers. Uh, the vast majority of Americans, 83% of Americans, uh, polled, uh, support the idea of pregnancy resource centers where you don't get an abortion, but you do get help, uh, for, again, a mother in a, in a pregnancy crisis or otherwise and the, and her newborn. Uh, these are very important. It, again, you know, Roe versus Wade is now overturned, and I think the next thing to, to look at is, is how we help women, uh, who do make the choice of life. Uh, to to succeed in that choice. And the pregnancy resource centers are a huge part of that future. Yeah, that is a winning strategy. A few months ago, President Trump came on the show and
0: suggested that one of the things he'd like to do is create a parents' corps, like the Peace Corps, like the Job Corps, to go and help parents get pre-qualified in case they want to step into the void and adopt a child if a mom's looking for a good home as an alternative to abortion, and that got a lot of buzz. I think people really realize that supporting women through this is an important and sometimes missing ingredient in the debate, important uh, words that you shared this weekend and, of course, again today. Congressman, always great to have you on the show. We love the work you're doing. You, you're very impactful. And I think what happened to Johns Hopkins, I think they learned a valuable lesson about what oversight looks like when a member of Congress starts asking important questions.
1: Uh, I certainly hope so. <laughs> you and I, and
0: probably a lot of grads and alum of Johns Hopkins do too. Great to have you on, sir. What a great honor today. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. One of the great national security thinkers of our time is joining us, Victoria Coates, right after these messages. IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As I mentioned at the top of the show, a growing concern about what is up with South Africa? Why is it taking such an anti-Israel posture, going to the International Criminal Court, suggesting that uh, Israel is violating international law with its attacks on Hamas during the war? And before that, a lot of footsie with both Iran and even Hamas, even Hamas after The October 7th attacks. A lot of people really wondering what's going on there. I have the perfect guest to help us referee it. She's the former deputy national security advisor to President Trump and currently in charge of all national security policy at the Heritage Foundation. Our good friend Victoria Coates joins us right now. Victoria, great to have you back on the show.
2: Thank you, John. Good to be with you.
0: This is one, if you told me a few years ago, South Africa would be on Iran's side and not Israel's side, I would be, no, that's not possible. But this has been a burgeoning relationship that now seems to have some consequences in the world stage. Tell us what's going on.
2: Yeah, this is, this is a major problem in sub-Saharan Africa, where South, South Africa is, is in many ways the dominant player, when, the largest economy, the most developed economy, one of the largest countries. Uh, And, you know, it's a nuclear, civil nuclear country. Obviously, most people are familiar with South Africa because of the transition from our our uh, apartheid under Nelson Mandela, which, you know, of course, was a a great thing in terms of improving the situation of the country for, for race relations. But an unfortunate side effect of that was some of the very radical friendships that uh, Mandela did pursue on the world stage. And so he was good friends with Yasser Arafat and created this kind of affinity with the Palestinians for for South Africa. And so in the wake of the uh, October 7th attacks, this has manifested itself rather than in support for Israel, which of course was grievously attacked, but they are supporting the Palestinians and are tying themselves into legal knots at The Hague, at the International Court of Justice, which is the United Nations uh, court. They're trying to create this case that that Israel's military actions are uh, unjustified. And their current uh, argument to that effect is that the 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 rules of law allow, if you are attacked, to respond in self-defense, and that's how Israel has justified this. The rule says you have to be a nation state to invoke this, but what the South Africans are saying is because Hamas is not a nation state, Israel can't attack them. So there is no legal merit to this, and it shows you how desperate they are, but the fact that the ICJ would even listen to this shows you how how far gone these people are and how anti-Israel they are.
0: Yeah, it is remarkable. And I do remember uh, covering Mandela and remembering the uh, overtures with Arafat. But at that time, Arafat had made efforts to make peace and had been legitimized at the White House with famous meetings and handshakes. You have post-October 7th ANC people still talking to Hamas leaders after the atrocities what is going on here? Does ANC have a finance? I know I've read a lot that the ANC has significant financial troubles as a political party. Last year, Viktor Vekselberg, the Russian oligarch, apparently gave a bunch of money to the party just to keep it afloat. Could it be that Iran and its deep pockets are in some way keeping them afloat?
2: Well, what one has to at least wonder, because this sort of unholy alliance is is emerging in a in a deeply, deeply dangerous way. And yes, the foreign minister of South Africa recently called, I guess, whatever she'd identified as her Hamas counterpart. I don't know quite how you do that, but they had an official phone call. So there's one on Team Hamas. But what the Iranians are messing in uh, is a lot of, of industry. And they, that's why I raised the issue of, of South Africa being a civil nuclear country. You know that that there is could potentially be nuclear collaboration there that could be deeply deeply dangerous. And the other thing, that is potentially very unfortunate, is of course all of these ships that the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels are preventing from going through the Red Sea are being rerouted around South Africa. So if the Iranians get a toehold in South Africa, they could be in a position to say we not only threaten. Bab al-Mandeb, the mouth of the Red Sea, we not only threaten the uh, Persian Gulf bottleneck at, at the Strait of Hormuz, but we could also threaten the Cape of Good Hope through our good friends with the South Africans. So that that then creates a whole other set of troubles and dangers uh, that the Iranians may be setting up here.
0: One of the things that was pretty noticeable, and this happened just before October 7th, is that... The Iranian government offered some help for South Africans for their beleaguered refineries, which were low in equipment, low in capabilities. Now, a lot of people look around and say, "Well, why, in goodness sake, would, would South Africa deal with Iran, allow it to, you know, pay for some services when there's all these sanctions on it?" This is some of the looking the other way stuff, I guess, that the Biden administration has been doing worldwide, right?
2: Exactly. So the sanctions are only a concern if somebody's going to enforce them. And that was what was so powerful during the Trump administration was the direction to the Secretary of Treasury and the Secretary of State to go after every loophole. And we made very clear to all of our partners and allies, including a country like South Africa, hey, if you mess with this, you know, we are going to come after you because you will be a, you know, a, a support, material supporter of terrorism. And so that's, that's where, you know, when they're not in force, then the South Africans are going to say, great, you know, somebody's going to come fix my refinery. I'm going to have more energy uh, and I'm not going to have any consequences from the Americans.
0: Yeah, pretty remarkable. As we look out, obviously, Iran would have an interest in using South Africa for its puppet argument that Israel is a apartheid state. I know everybody who studies this knows that Israel is not an apartheid state. It's not a proper using, but the propaganda power that South Africa wants an apartheid state calling Israel, that would be great value to Iran. Is some of this just pure propaganda and psyops from Iran using South Africa as sort of their third party arguer?
2: Yeah, it's it's really shockingly disgraceful. And and former Secretary of State John Kerry, I guess now former special envoy for climate, John Kerry actually used the word apartheid uh in conjunction with Israel saying that Israel risked this, you know, kind of uh pariah state status that uh that, that the American Secretary of State would use that word is, you know, just shocking. But what it did is it kind of legitimized it and now South Africa, which does have this lingering sort of aura of moral authority for having thrown off its own apartheid system, uh, that that they would then feel that they could cast that aspersion on Israel simply for defending itself from a horrendous terrorist attack is, is pretty rich. And, you know, I, I do wish we had an administration that would speak out forcefully against the ICJ and you it's going to fall, though, to members of Congress to do that. Yeah, without
0: a doubt. It's a remarkable thing. At this moment, with all that's going on in the world, it doesn't look like the International Criminal Court is going to take the matter too seriously against Israel, though it has to go through the steps there, obviously— Already been some pretty tough questions back in South Africa, questioning some of the philosophy and ideas. But what do you think is the the next step for trying to break this partnership between South Africa and Iran? Obviously, there's big elections in South Africa just a couple months away. ANC, for the first time, looks like it's in some serious trouble. Is the election perhaps the next case, or is there some international intervention that could occur before then?
2: Well, you might have heard, John. I, I think we're having an election in the United
0: States this <laughs> year. Sure. That one, that one's going to be a big deal.
2: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, For that's, sure. That's, 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 that's the big that's one. that has been in the news. Yeah, I read about it in the paper. Uh, but that's the thing is, I mean, I don't know, absent a an American administration that is willing to really expend some capital on this, you know, and and hold the funding. For the ICJ at risk, hold the funding for the entire United Nations at risk, and you know, which is something Senator Lee has been working on, for example, and I think you know would would gain a lot of traction as an election issue. That that until you have that, this bad behavior is going to continue, and you know, we are the single largest donor to the United Nations. All of these institutions, from the ICJ to UNRWA, to the Human Rights Council, ill named. Uh, Now presided over by the Iranians. These are all deeply anti-Israel and anti-American organizations. And the thought is on the left that we have to continue to fund them to have influence over them. If we don't continue to fund them, they cease to exist. And that's where we are at this point.
0: It is pretty remarkable. The, um, what you see with South Africa when I, you go back over the last couple of years, a lot of love from Russia. Like I said, Victor Veckelsberg, a big Putin aligned oligarch who's now been sanctioned by the United States, if I remember correctly. He's giving some money to ANC. You got Iran giving all sorts of business and other opportunities, scientific tourism and those refinery assistance. And then there is the BRICS movement of which South Africa has also been a very big proponent obviously involving China and that one, they seem to also want to remove not only create antagonism for Israel, it appears that they may also be trying to supplant the United States as a global standard for cash transactions. Why would South Africa be involved in BRICS?
2: Yeah, it's a question mark in my mind why anybody would be involved in BRICS uh, when you're essentially going to have to shackle your currency to the Chinese currency, which is not a place any reasonable nation would want to be. First and foremost, our, our great partners and allies in India. That that you know, India BRICS made sense for India, you know, thirty years ago when they were truly a developing nation. I, I would have to ask them now if if this is really the company you want to keep. And you know, you emerging is such a much stronger power and a much healthier economy. Why why would you want to shackle your currency to that and not to the United States? And You know, in some ways, it's a shell game. You know, the Saudis just joined BRICS, but the Saudis are hardly a developing nation. And, oh, their real is pegged to the dollar. So they can't do that unless they want to depeg from the dollar, which they do not. It would not be a very smart thing to do. So in a way, this is a Chinese PR game. But at the same time, I think it falls on us to expose it and say, OK, is this what you really want to do? You really don't want to go through the Federal Reserve anymore for your transactions. I don't believe that's
0: true. Yeah, no, the the risk that comes with that is so humongous. And yet there are those discussions continue. Again, it does seem more like propaganda and posturing than a real move towards a different currency. But it it's absolutely fascinating. Stepping back and looking at the state of the Middle East, we talked a week or so ago on the TV show, there seems to be a few more aggressive attacks on the Hooties from U.S. military, still not the sort of attacks that would really be a long-term deterrent. But does the Biden administration look like it's a little bit more panic and needing to do something just for internal politics in the United States?
2: Well, it's, it's hard to tell, you know, that we... Lost very uh, unfortunately two Navy SEALs in a effort to interdict uh, interdict arms that Iran was trying to run to the Houthi. and President Biden put out a statement about it today in which the word Iran or the mission those guys were on are it's never mentioned and you would think they had been misplaced if you read that and in a vacuum so it's it's really that's embarrassing and and yes they are starting to do. Uh, some some additional strikes, but the problem is they really don't have the authority to do that. I believe they're currently using Article 2 authority, which is emergency powers of the presidency, fine. This has been going on for months, so I'm not sure that holds, or the 2001 AUMF, but that doesn't allow you, that allows you to go after al-Qaeda and affiliated groups. This isn't al-Qaeda. And so if the administration is going to continue this, and there are rumors of a, of a more concerted military plan being drawn up for Yemen, they're going to have to go to Congress for authorization because they do not have it currently. And that's going to get them in trouble across the board. They're going to be in trouble with the left over that as well as with conservatives. So, so that's something I think you know, we all have to keep a really close eye on because they, they're kind of get, trotting out the Vietnam playbook here. The United States is deeply unpopular in Yemen. We should not sugarcoat that. This is not going to be a popular thing to do. And so I think if if we are proposing a more direct engagement, that has to be thought through and you have to bring the American people with you.
0: Fascinating the challenges that awaits the Democratic Party with its bipolar makeup right now. It's difficult for the president to maneuver without hitting a tripwire on one or the other side of his party. And of course, what's great about the Republican Party, almost the vast majority of the Republican Party is in one place. It's in that Trump sort of America first security posture. I know there's a couple of deviations, clearly Governor Haley, perhaps a little bit more to the traditional old neocon part of the party. But most of the party, including the Senate and the House now, really firmly in the Trump camp. There's going to be a real clear divergence in this election, our election, on national security policy. Usually national security policy isn't the top policy in elections going into presidential, but this year feels different. It feels like the world being aflame. National security policy is going to be just as important as economic. Do you see that just in watching how the polling in the American public stands right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, as as, as an employee of the Heritage Foundation, we don't you know, take positions on candidates or, you know, we just take positions on policies. And the thing is though, John, things that are key election issues, such as immigration, such as energy, uh, you know, these, these are firmly in the national security camp at this point. So you, you have to deal with them uh, and, and you have to ask yourself, you know, the old Reagan question, am I better off in terms of my, my energy posture? Am I better off in terms of immigration than I was three years ago? And that's, you know, that's going to be the basic question everyone's going to have to answer. Yeah,
0: no, that is for sure. No doubt about it. Victoria, it's always an honor to have you on the show. We always love talking. This one, particularly with South Africa, people were scratching their heads. I think you help us really understand the dynamic and also the risk ahead for us in, in foreign policy. Great to have you on. Thanks for the time.
2: Thank you, John. Thanks for covering
0: Yeah, we love, love having you on. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back to wrap things up.
2: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free?
0: All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. So grateful you can join us. Big thank you to Congressman Andy Harris and to Victoria for joining us today. It was really a great conversation. I always enjoy her conversations. Victoria Coates, obviously, former Deputy National Security Advisor to President Trump. All right. And also, if you want to take advantage of that new product, Lean, that my friends at Brickhouse Nutrition have, go to TakeLean.com dot com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's how you're going to get started. and You're going to get 15% off. That's a good deal. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Until then, God bless you and God bless this extraordinary country of the United States as he always has. Have a good one, guys. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year and then the inflation data came out.